Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Today, we're happy to welcome Enrique and Christian, co-founders of Chi Impact Capital, the conscious impact investor that is creating strong financial returns by investing in core regenerative business models that advance the most burning sustainable development goals in Europe. Through the Burning Issues Impact Fund, Chi is scaling early growth stage companies through breakthrough technologies to transform the sectors they operate in. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving us a review and following the European VC on LinkedIn. Loving the podcast? Don't miss out on our meetups bringing the EU VC and Super Angel community together. Off of the high of the Gargle Blasters from our London event, kindly supported by SVB UK, Vaban and Isom Capital and more events are coming. So make sure to subscribe on eu.vc to stay in the loop for future mind-blowing events. Welcome to the European VC Podcast. Early in 2022, together with Uplink, a project by the World Economic Forum, we launched a challenge for innovative investment funds with a focus across at least one of eight key SDG areas, nature, ocean, plastics, climate action, circular economy, water, health, and education. This campaign, a partnership between Uplink, EUVC, Eisenberg Capital, and other great names, aimed to source and select innovative funds investing in purpose-driven startups around the world. Now, the European VC has always and will always be European-focused, but saving our planet is too much of an important topic for us to just stand idle. So, today, we're proud to present one of the 17 funds selected that is mobilizing capital for people and the planet. We are welcoming Enrique and Christine, co-founders of Cheap Impact Capital. Hi, both of you. How's everything? Thanks so much for the nice invitation. We are great and super looking forward to having the conversation with you. Hi, David, Andreas. Nice pleasure. Uh, as I was saying, I, I really enjoy to read your newsletter and um, I have a lot of fun with your memes. So uh, it's a pleasure. We also have a lot of fun making. <laughs> I think my, my favorite WhatsApp conversations is Andreas kind of sharing the silly ideas he comes up with and kind of testing them out. <laughs> it's funny how you can end up being known for something as stupid as memes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's about that, right? Like, so making things that are very serious a bit silly so that we can adequate it to our regular life and then really relate it to something that is more simple as we are humans, right? As my sociology teacher back in university always said, the simplest argument wins. No matter how much you're right, the simplest argument will always win. <laughs> <laughs> On the topic of serious issues, you know, I think part of the reason why we're featuring you is because we really believe in this mission that Uplink kind of invited us very kindly to be part of, which is this topic of mobilizing capital for people and the planet. So I'd love to ask you both to give us a quick intro to who are you and how did you end up in this world of venture and investing? But also maybe even more importantly, as a follow-up to that is what is Chi Impact Capital and why do you exist? 
Yes, uh, David, Andreas, I'm, I'm super happy to introduce myself briefly and then give you an insight into Qi. Uh, my name is Christine, Christine Terbrack-Forstinger. I'm an Austrian by origin and by heart, although I'm living in wonderful Switzerland since 2005 already, which is quite a long time. I personally actually had a coincidence with impact investing. I come from the traditional finance field, started off in private equity, then in fund structuring, and then in 2008, I had my first encounter with impact investing in the private bank where I was working back then. I actually came back from a private trip, a project that I've pulled off with three amazing ladies that I did not even know back then in Ghana, West Africa, came back to the bank and my boss said, well, Christine, actually, we have a, a fund on the table that we need to structure and they would actually like to structure to their fund a social return. That was for me something very new, you know, to combine the traditional financial know-how with a social angle and a fire ignited that never has left me. So this was my, let's say, kickoff in impact investing back in the days. And since then, I've always uh, worked in yeah, sustainable investing and impact investing then. Yeah, and also very happy to briefly introduce Qi. So Qi is a positive life energy. The Qi particular stands for conscious, holistic, and impactful investing. So we are pure play impact investing boutique, but really seeing things holistically, seeing things from a systemic perspective, also when choosing investments for the funds that we advise, the Burning Issues Impact Fund. Yeah, this is basically what we burn for, namely making the shift towards a regenerative economy a reality with deep impact investments. Thank you very much, dear Christine. It's always good to hear the story from your side. And let me just quickly guide you through mine. So I'm Mexican-Swiss, born raised in Mexico, but I have Swiss origins from Schaffhausen, so uh, Swiss-German region that is actually very close to Germany. My inspiration is coming from that, like the mix between Latin America and Switzerland. I um, started my professional career in Latin America and I quickly uh, find that I was not complete or I thought that there was something missing between the businesses I was involved, right? Like so, and this was what we call now impact, so social and environmental impact. I decided to come here to Switzerland 12 years ago to really challenge myself and see how international organizations, impact investors, and uh, many other players can actually um, support each other to develop what we know now as impact, social and environmental impact investing. So I joined different groups. I worked with Seed Stars a long time ago, developing entrepreneurs. I worked also with the Impact Hub Network, really developing acceleration programs, incubation programs. And then quickly I jumped to Bamboo Capital Partners with um, one of the teams leading what we call now the impact investing in emerging markets. And there, Florian and Jean-Philippe, we built funds. It was a lot of fun, but I quickly get inspired by what Christine was starting. It was Chi, and uh, by the time we tried to do it together in a different model, kind of inside Bamboo, but then we quickly decided like, that it was better to do it in a different way. And Christine really has been an inspiration in my end to follow uh, her guidance on many different things. And and I jumped quickly into the team and said, like, yes, why not? Let's start this. Even thought it was a real new challenge in my life. To give birth to a fund, uh, you can imagine, is like really a challenge, but also a lot of fun. And it's, I would like to say that it's kind of roller coaster that you live every day. On the whole topic of Uplink, what, what have you guys gotten out of being part of the Uplink Innovative Funds for Our Future Challenge and also the overall network? 
Yes, I really think it's a, an amazing network that on one hand brings the players together, like really the innovative funds that were selected as the winners. And we have built wonderful collaborations also with the other funds, but also that brings together really super interesting deal flow pipeline companies, but also investors, right? Yeah, it's basically an ecosystem in itself that's extremely valuable and that just shows us how important collaboration actually is in the sector. It's also kind of a place to get inspired to do new things since the network is very rich. I mean, I always like to also point out the challenges, right? Like, so when we see each other and when we discuss together with the network is amazing because we have this momentum. When that finished, it's always a bit challenging to find the common points or the next steps that I think it's normal, right? Like the platform works very well in that sense, but still, you know, in the day to day, sometimes we need to do an extra effort starting by myself, right? Like to get to connect again to the people that I speak to really put next step on stuff. I'm trying to put myself in the edge on this. I, I can improve that, that way of connection, but it's also very inspiring to see all the people that come to meet them in different places. Andreas and myself just came from beautiful uh, Villar in Switzerland. We had the pleasure of, of course, meeting again a couple of places that we already know and love, but also meeting some of the funds that we hadn't had the pleasure to meet yet, and also some of the innovators, right, the entrepreneurs. And that was really, really amazing. And as Enrique, as you said, right, quite inspiring as well. And we closed a deal there, plus have agreed on a partnership around content. So definitely it was a trip that on our side is getting us closer to the climate space as well, which we're only more excited about. Very cool. So I'm sure she came back and had tons of ideas that you had to tell her, calm down, calm down. Let's prioritize. <laughs> anyway, before we move on, I think it would only be good to uh, give our listeners right now a bit of a breakdown of what is Chi Impact Capital? What are you guys focusing on? You know, what should we know? Give us the rundown. Chi um, Impact Capital, basically, we are the advisor of the Burning Issues Impact Fund a Luxembourg Article 9 SFDR fund. With the Burning Issues Impact Fund, basically we invest into European-based companies that help solve the most burning issues of our time. This goes across sectors. When you look at the SDGs very carefully, we've based our research on a study of the Bertelsmann Foundation and the UN SDG Index and Dashboards Report, then you actually see that the burning topics are not only the climate topic, that is, of course, flagged red in the study that I've just mentioned, but also, you know, when you look at things holistically, you see that also the circular economy topic, you've mentioned it before, the food systems transformation topic, smart infra topic, those are also topics that are flagged red, that deserve immediate action in order when we want to reach the SDGs until 2030. This is actually where we focus with our funds, the Burning Issues Impact Fund on. So we invest into scalable impact tech pioneers that help solve those burning issues. And I think the important message is to also share that we align really a deep impact and strong returns. So this is uh, basically 100% aligned. I actually just realized there's one thing we never really clarified on this podcast. I just had that realization. And this topic has come up, I'd venture and say 10 times or more on the podcast already, which is Article 9 SFDR fund. What the fuck does that mean? Right? <laughs> so I'd love to let you guys answer that. And obviously this is something anyone can Google, but also Maybe many of the emerging and aspiring managers that listen in, they don't really know what the process is to be that and the pros and cons. I'd love to hear your quick reflections on that topic. 
Enrique, briefly on that, because in our team, I'm, uh, I'm heading that. I had a feeling. I had a feeling. That's why I asked it. <laughs> Honestly, I tell you, David Andreas, it's, pardon my French, it's a fucking burden. And I tell you why. I've actually studied law in Harvard. I did it even with uh, my PhD with summa cum laude. So I think I know what I'm talking about when it comes to law and European regulations. I also did my master in European law. But, you know, that whole SFDR, which is actually called Sustainable Financial Disclosure Regulation, had actually the intention to prevent greenwashing. But, you know, I'm not so sure if it really prevents greenwashing, because in the end, it's very easy. I mean, you could criticize me a lot for that, and probably I get some criticism for that. But I just want to be open and blunt. And I think it's important to discuss this very openly. So the intention was to prevent greenwashing. But for example, for a big bank, it's relatively easy, you know, to get the right advisors on board. I don't know, pay around 50K sum to say, well, make my fund wrap it nicely in an Article 9, uh, whatever layer. But, you know, the question is, which value adds does it really have for the investee companies? You know, and that you could challenge a lot because we go into the depth of the matter with the questionnaires that we now have to kind of, burden our investee companies with, honestly, you know, the important message is it has nothing to do with the whole, let's say, impact measurement, which is key. Now we can discuss this separately. This is key for an impact fund. If you claim to be an impact fund, of course, you have to measure your impact and report on it and be transparent about it and have a robust uh, metrics. That's very clear. For example, in our case, we only invest anyway into core regenerative companies, into companies that have an utterly deeply impactful business model in the core, if it's core product or core service. Then, you know, I think the whole SFDR regulation was really designed for large listed corporations, but not so much for the VC space. And now the VC space has to suffer quite a bit and you can challenge what's the value add. But that was a small excursion and I want to be frank so you can really challenge what is the value that we are compliant because uh, we say okay some investors more institutional investors expect it but yeah i was just about to ask that do you think that you could have opted for not going for that registration honestly i would say yes andreas because you know we are an impact fund we anyway measure the impact we report on the impact and we take that utterly serious but would the institutional LPs have come on board then? Or, you know, it, that's just a minimum requirement, even though they recognize all the things you say, which they're probably just as aware of as you are, they need it to be flagged as, as an Article 9 fund. Exactly, exactly. That is exactly the crux. So they also have their whatever investment restrictions or boxes that they need to tick, where they say, well, you know, it needs to be an Article 8 at least, or ideally an Article 9 fund. So, I mean, we... Predominantly, anyway, I have private investors in the fund, not so much institutional investors. It's also our first fund. But still, there are some more, let's say, institutional-like investors. So we thought, okay, let's go for that route. But you could honestly, seriously challenge that whole Article 9 status, I would say. I mean, in general, what the real value add is for the VC space. And I've talked to many other VC funds too. Some say, well, you know, it's actually a nice argument because we are so green, we are so Article 9. But I, I wouldn't see it like that because the impact fund anyway has to go beyond, right? And uh, from that perspective, it's really the question, which value does it add to the investee companies that you could challenge? 
this debate about regulations and how to really comply to them, it's a real challenge when you are a fund that is starting first. And then second, when you start from impact, right? Like we leave our impact. We basically created this because we live our life like this. That is why we also tie our BIF fund carry to 100% to creation of positive impact outcome. And we're one of the only or the only fund that is doing this, right? Like in the market. Actually, when we discussed with the Uplink network, they were some of them surprised because we do this, right? Like, and we said, like, I mean, we are here because of the impact. How to create a sustainable, as Kristin was, was saying, something that is more holistic in the way we are creating companies. I'm very interested to ask Christine another question, because Christine, you have an interesting profile to ask this question, given your, your education and your past experience, which is, yes. you dropped a little teaser there, which is, you know, institutional LPs at least Article 8, ideally Article 9, right? And to our listeners, people that are more early in their VC journeys, you know, Article 8 being a fund that promotes environmental and social characteristics and an Article 9 fund being a fund that has sustainable investments as an objective of the fund. So let, let me ask you, you know, in your own fund origin story, in your own fundraising journey as well, nothing would stop you from being a fund eight and doing exactly what you're doing, right? Most first funds do, you know, have family offices, high net worth, whatever. So how did you think about this, right? How did you make the decision? How did you make the call? And I'm asking because I think it is relevant for other GPs that might be listening in. I mean, I think the answer is very straightforward and very simple because when you know that whole regulation came up, honestly, I do not even remember exactly, was it like 12 months ago or a bit, I think it was even earlier. And then we said, of course, we are compliant because we are impact. But then over time, uh, in particular over the course of 2022, from a regulatory perspective, it got more granular, the whole uh, regulation. And it was like from level one to level two and another level got implemented. And then we realized what it actually means, right, in detail uh, that we have to comply with. And, um, and then we, of course, devoted a lot of work. Uh, and that's not the problem, right, the work. And, of course, it also costed us some money, which was not nice, but does not matter. I mean, when we say we want to be compliant and we also need to go that extra mile. But I think what really matters is when you then really look into all these questions that you have to kind of bother the investee companies with and also take their time. Those companies, as I mentioned before, they are already like deeply impactful from their core business. And you can really challenge what this status really adds yeah, in terms of value. And we were actually thinking, should we actually in a letter approach our LPs and tell them that from our perspective does not really have a value add and we actually maybe think of a downgrading to an Article 6. Very honestly, there are three statuses, right? Six, I wonder why there's no seven. It's six, eight, and nine, you know? I mean, which is totally weird because then in Article 6, you would say you are non-compliant basically to the whole sustainability, whatever, regulations, but you are an impact fund. So it's, you know, and then we thought, okay, well, then we have to explain this all, but in the end, I think it would definitely be possible because, you know, I think maybe that's also important to share the whole SFDR did not change anything in the way we are working, right? Because we have our impact framework. This is what we have applied before SFDR and this is what we will apply beyond SFDR. So, yeah, one could question it, honestly. I have another question, which is in one of the areas of your thesis, because I've been reading some... I wouldn't necessarily call it disturbing reports, but at least in the food tech space, 
We have many that are pushing back, especially on vertical farming. That's that's the space that is really taking a hitting these days. I'd be curious to hear, you know, where, where you see that vertical of yours going and, and where you're seeing the biggest opportunities these days. In terms of vertical farming, you would say, Andreas? Yeah, both vert- vertical farming, but also the future of food in general. Well, I think the whole food systems transformation space is a burning issue. This is something where we really need many, many improvements, be it on the alternative protein side, be it on the food waste reduction side. So there are many, many interesting solutions out there, many interesting companies out there where you can make an interesting investment. Yes, of course, I think that's nothing new. The last few months have shown us that valuations have come down tremendously in that space, but not only in the food space, but also in other, I think probably across the whole VC space. I mean, when it comes to vertical farming, I think what is really important is that vertical farms ideally have very circular business model, meaning what we all have seen, right, uh, over the last months also, and with the, let's say, Ukrainian crisis and with the rising energy uh, prices, was that more traditional vertical farms, they got into trouble, right, because the heating got really, really expensive, The vertical farm where uh, we, or why are the burning issues impact fund, have invested here in Switzerland is the largest vertical farm in Switzerland. Um, It's a spin-off of the ETH, an amazing team, a young team. But what we really liked on their business model, and I think this is a differentiator to traditional vertical farms, is that their business model is deeply circular. So, uh, for example, they reuse heat let's say, where they, they heat the herbs, they're growing herbs at the moment for heating their building, for example. Actually, that was quite cost-intensive to pull this off, but it was Philip actually has co-founded with, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a tech expert and he set up that system. So this is also what we really liked at the beginning. So they were not so affected and so basically dependent on the rising energy prices, you know, through their special setup of the through that circular approach in vertical farming. I think vertical farming, if you ask me, is still very much needed. This is something that can really disrupt the space, is tremendously interesting for the cities of the future. Uh, perhaps I take it from there, speaking about the future and the way we are building cities, just imagine how the next neighborhoods would look like, right? Like with um, mobility and the way we are basically trying to do with vertical farming. Like if you think on a way in where a neighborhood has a vertical farming inserted or inside the entire buildings and they can reuse the energy, you reduce the logistic costs of managing goods drastically, right? Like, so you can consume the own goods that are produced in the same neighborhood by uh, using the same energy that is used in the buildings and the same water. And you basically eat your own food from the same place, right? Like one of the biggest challenges of our area and basically in Europe is the logistics of goods, right? Like, so to manage food from one place to another. And then we have this challenge of always, you know, like uh, one of the jokes that I have with some friends, you want uh, strawberries in June, right? And you also want them in January. And so that kind of things you need to really decide and see if they are something that is needed. You really can consume the food that you can produce locally. And this is what's coming in the future with vertical farming, right? Like having a farm inside buildings that can produce food for your own consumption. 
in a normal VC business, you have very good margins, right? <laughs> and that, and that's what really allows the model to work in the end. Typically, farming is a very low margin business. It requires huge scale, consequently, right, to make a lot of money in that space. So I'm curious to ask you, how do you think about the whole business model of applying the VC model into something that is as, at least historically, low margin huge capacity buildups needed. So what we are investing in is in technology, right? Like, so the technology of how to build a farm inside a whole um, space that reuses the whole energy. Let me break it into the way we see it. So you have the buildings and then the buildings are consuming some energy, like let's say air conditioning or heating. And then from there, this kind of energy, since the farm is inside, can reuse it. And this is the way to make the whole building, the whole neighborhood, something that is more smart than before. It's also part of the business. Of course, the business, the core business is to produce the goods. So they produce the food in a vertical way. But it's also to reduce the amount of energy that you are using for the buildings and the water that you are using in the buildings and the whole systems that are interconnected to the farm. So what we are investing here is in the future of vertical farming not just on the production of the, um, the plants that we're going to eat and the farming itself, but the future of the farming itself, like how the facilities will work. For example, in the case where we have invested, it's basically um, a super interesting business model. Like for this is the, the plant models, and now they have built a pilot vertical farm, but the business model basically is vertical farming as a service. Going back to your question, basically with the low margin, on the goods, vertical farming as a service is a super interesting business model because there you basically have the tech and the scale combined. Uh, and I also think it really depends on the goods. So the margin question basically that you produce. I think for, for herbs, the margins are not so low. Also, for example, for whatever cosmetic plants, there's a huge potential to grow them uh, in vertical farms. But uh, I agree. So it, it becomes a bit difficult when you then go over to whatever salads or stuff where margins are probably very low. Fully agree. When you factor in the whole facility, as you said, Enric, and it's the connection to the buildings that are then around also because they're reusing the water and reusing the heat and everything. I can only imagine that's an incredibly complicated business model that is then contingent on the whole ecosystem around the plant to then also interacting or getting into bed with the farm. How do you think about that? I definitely get that VC is about betting on the future, right? It's something that's quite far from what we have today. And when you think you have a fund timeline of 10 years and many of the investments, in effect, you really want to start getting <laughs> getting out the door in seven and eight. How do you think about the timelines in this space? Is it really uh, doable? Do you think so? Are we there yet? That's why we do impact, right? Like that's why we, we, we try to look for those challenges and for those solutions that are going to be mainstream in the future. I would like to say that we are on the right time to start. And perhaps the next generation of those vertical farmers or these models will be more embedded in the way we are consuming things. I would like to say that it's also a way to see the future, right? Like we don't have enough land to produce enough food for the 10 billion people that we need to feed in 2050, right? Like, so what I'm trying to explain is what is coming in the future, honestly, is something I don't know, but we're trying to plan ahead and have solutions for that and see that these type of innovation, it's a solution for the future problem. Yeah, it's a complex space. 
Uh, let's get into something that we understand better, which is carry dynamics in a venture fund. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just thought it would be an interesting segment there. You know, we spoke about SFDR and right, you know, how to disclose, blah, blah, blah. And both of you raised a great point, which is we are impact. By design, we are impact. So it's kind of a either marketing label or something that is just good to increase confidence with our stakeholders, blah, blah, blah. But I'd love to hear you talk a bit about how you think about carry especially what Enrique, you were talking about, you, that you believe you're one of the few, if not the only one to do it the way you do. So I'll leave it like that and let you kind of give us the quick rundown of how you think about it, how you run it, and why you think that is important at the end of the day. In our professional career, we find out that there is many different ways to label impact, or there is no ways to actually show it but with an example. And what we try to do here is really to um, say walk the talk and say like, okay, well, if we are really into impactful in, well, we are going to share it with the world and, and really tie it up to our current interest and see how this works. Because if there is no impact, then there is no model that we need to pursue. I think it's very personal and I'm very proud about that way of thinking, right? Like if you are not impact in the way you consuming goods, in the way you are working with people, in the way you are building your relationships well. Um, I mean, so of course, sometimes you miss some things, but if you don't do it in a way that it is, and you make mistakes, of course, but it, that is impactful for a long run, well, I mean, you better don't do it, right? So David, you spoke before of impact by design, uh, basically vis-a-vis -vis an impact by accident, right? And if you are a fund that cares about impact, that is really an impact fund by design, then it should be easy actually to tie your fund carry to the performance of positive impact outcomes. We also set up a specific fund governance body for that in order to also validate the impact data that we collect. Uh, you know, that we also don't have a conflict of interest that do not validate our own data for that then would pay in to the carry, but that it is also validated by independent individuals Feel free to share a bit more on the governance bodies that you've created around this. I think that's interesting. It's actually really important also to, you know, have a strong governance within a fund because we also see, and that's not only in the impact space, but also in the VC space and in the traditional fund space, that unfortunate governance things can happen, which then can actually draw the whole sector into whatever some negative connotation and this is very unfortunate for young players and in particular also for the whole integrity of the further market. So we have three governance bodies. We have actually a fund advisory board, basically impact pioneers that support us on strategic decisions. We are close to those uh, eight individuals. Then we have external, we, uh, we are supported in our internal, basically in our team, we are uh, three IC members. We are supported also by external IC members to challenge our view to bring in their expertise and then we also have as i mentioned the impact validation committee to basically validate the collected impact data from our end i think that's interesting right for people to understand when they're embarking on this i'm curious to hear if you could name any other here in europe or in general that you think are blazing the trail when it comes to tying carry to impact and where people should seek out information because it's a question we're being asked somewhat of mm -hmm. i don't think we're the only ones there are some other colleagues out there definitely but i think honestly when you really believe in impact and in the impact potential of your investee companies 
then it should actually be a no-brainer that you tie also the carry not only to a financial hurdle, but also to the creation of positive impact outcomes. In our case, you know, it's really so strongly interlinked that we see, you know, impact and positive financial returns go hand in hand. So from that perspective, yeah, we did not have to think very long about it. It should not only reflect basically our own attitude and our own values, but also should really be a strong sign for our LPs that we believe in the impact potential of the companies where we invest in. Also something that we try to spend a lot of time with the companies to define with them what the way to measure them, right? Like, so it's a mix between KPIs and, and objectives and how we are going to help them to embrace these into a daily activity and not us coming every here and there and said like, hey, time to measure. It's more something to have in the business model embedded by itself and how we actually contribute. Well, we meet with them, we sit down, we try to develop kind of a more workshop session in this. As I'm speaking, we are actually creating a new way to do it, right? Like to improve it. And it's been a great lesson the last years on, on how to do this. And little by little, we're getting into something that is more a process that works better for the companies. What it comes to me on this is that we're getting better and better on to systematize that and help them understanding why impact should be in the whole business model and how they should share it with the partners, with customers, with other types of business partners that they are working with, you know, like it's in a daily basis. So we are unfortunately running out of time. And when we run out of time, what we do is we move into the quick fire round. The quick fire rounds and we ask quick answer questions, 30 to 60 seconds each. So I hope you're ready as I move into the first question. And even though we deep dive into food tech and vertical farming, I'd love to ask you both. And Christine, let's start with you on this one. What areas, technologies or sectors excite you the most that other people around you don't really feel that excited about? So David, we invest in technologies that help solve the most burning issues of our time. So from that perspective, beyond the food tech space, everything that's related to positive climate action, to circular economy, conscious commerce, making cities smarter, but also to the care and affordable healthcare sector. So I would say, yeah, Yeah. deep tech business models in those sectors. I'm going to take it more on a personal level. <laughs> what excites me a lot is basically because I see it in my personal way of living. So it's um, technology on the way we consume goods at home. So how to make it more efficient and less impactful, less plastic, less problems for the environment. And the second one will be uh, sustainable luxury because of the uh, potential of this getting to people that don't have this conscious of being more sustainable, I think everyone should be in this discussion, right? Like everyone should take part of it. And that part, I think it's something that will and should come more often into impact. Second question and final question of the quick fire for today. And Enrique, feel free to take this one first. What are your top tips for emerging VCs across Europe who are now fundraising? Really take the time to build this empathy with the businesses that you want to work with. The human aspect of building companies is very, very important in the impact field because it's the way you actually build the character of your employees and develop the whole long-term vision of the company. So I would like to say that beside like the importance of really working with your LPs, work with the companies also on this. And be very honest with your LPs why you're doing this, why you believe that the impact should be the next thing, what it wakes you up, right? Like, so I think it's basically why we do this 
sometimes it's so challenging that we said like, okay, let's get back to the basics. Why we started this. And I think it should be a driver that wakes you up in the morning and keeps you busy in the evening. Sometimes we are working in different time zones. And if it's 3 a.m., you said like, okay, I need to take this because it's part of what keeps my heart beating. Yes, I think you made a nice summary, uh, Enrique. And I think in addition, what could we share with colleagues, basically, who are emerging VCs, then uh, probably I would also say kick off definitely with an anchor investor. So find an anchor investor first, you know, rather over deliver, don't over promise, be highly integral, have a strong fund governance bodies and actually have an amazingly strong founder team yourself that is deeply committed, I think this is very much important. And on that note, I'll look at my co-founder and say, let's wrap this up and say thanks a million for today. Thanks for joining us, Christine and Enrique. It's been a very nice pleasure, Andreas, David. Thank you very much, Christine, also, and, and hope to see you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of The European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. 